Welcome back to the It's Just Sport podcast, A League of Our Own. I'm Joanna Verdon. I'm Eve Tallon. We are very excited to welcome Joanna Harper to the podcast. Joanna, we would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. And yeah. Um, so I've always been a scientist. Uh, I uh, long ago got an undergraduate degree in physics and a master's degree in medical physics. Um, I've always been an athlete. Um, in my teens, I was a multi-sport athlete. By my 20s, I had pretty much specialized in distance running. Um, and I've always been a transgender person. Um, but it was only when those th- three things came together for me in 2004 that my life changed. Um, I started my gender-based transition uh, and in August of 2004, I started on hormone therapy. Within nine months, I was running 12% slower. And that's the difference between serious male distance runners and serious female distance runners. So I'd lost my complete male advantage in the sport in, with nine months of hormone therapy. As a scientist, I was intrigued. So I started to learn more about the endocrinology and exercise physiology involved. I also started uh, eventually to, to get data from other trans women who had been through uh, a process like me. It took seven years to, of gathering data, but eventually I had enough for a paper. It was published in 2015. It was a retrospective look at uh, 200 race times from eight trans women and using uh, a metric to factor out the loss of speed due to aging. The, the trans women were no more competitive in the women's category than they had been in the men's category before uh, transition. And this was, was the very first uh, quantitative analysis of, of transgender athletes to be published anywhere in the world. And at the time I was working in healthcare in the US and wasn't affiliated with, with any academic institution. Um, I suddenly found myself uh, at the center of a lot of attention, international sports uh, governing bodies, um, media uh, and, and other assorted people uh, started looking to me uh, for, for answers on, on the very difficult questions of, of what to do with, with trans athletes. Um, and, and then in 2018, Loughborough University decided that they were gonna start up a program to study trans athletes. They contacted me to see if I was interested in helping them start up the program. But when they found out I didn't have a PhD, they said, you've done all of this without a PhD? Well, why don't you come here, study trans athletes and get a PhD? And I said, okay. So in 2019, I, I, I moved uh, to, to England. And since then I've been engaged full-time uh, studying trans athletes while earning my PhD here. Amazing. Yeah, it's all, it's all incredibly interesting. Sorry, we just did that thing we always talk about doing. Um, it is incredibly interesting. I'm kind of like curious as to like, how does your current study in university work? And like, what are its aims um, from your end? What are you hoping it's, it's going to do for trans athletes and the future of sport? Um, we actually have three different studies. Um, we have a, a longitudinal study where... Uh, the idea is to get trans athletes into the sports lab, do baseline tests on their uh, their strength, their speed, their stamina, uh, and other athletic attributes, and then see how those change as uh, 
that the athletes go through hormone therapy. We always knew that the, the number of uh, participants we would get for that study would be fairly small because you have to get serious athletes just before they start hormone therapy and, and get them into the lab. But, but then, of course, there was this thing called the global pandemic that happened. And um, to date, we've only managed to do baseline studies on, on two athletes. We have one who started hormone therapy, a cyclist. Um, she's now four months into hormone therapy. We've done her baseline tests, her first quarterly tests, and, and we are going to continue testing her over the next several months. Um, the second study is sort of an extension of the first study that I published where we look at, at athletes in uh, sports where you can easily measure uh, their uh, competition results before and after sports like athletics or swimming or, or weightlifting. Um, and uh, I have 17 participants in, in that study so far. Um, and uh, you know, we've gathered some, some pretty uh, compelling data on, on how, how these athletes have performed in their sports before and after uh, transition. Uh, the third study is a cross-sectional study where um, we get uh, trans athletes who are currently competing in, in any sport uh, into the, the sports lab and, and do a, uh, measurements to see where they are right now and then uh, compare them to uh, similar cisgender or, or typical female athletes in their sport um, and uh, see how they match up. That study um, is, is just going through uh, the ethical approval process now. Um, we hope to start uh, taking measurements on that this fall. It's, yeah, it's, it's all really, really interesting. And I can imagine everybody coming looking to you for, for answers. And, and I suppose that's like part of why we wanted to talk to you because like you know we've we've talked with it a couple a couple of times and obviously there's lots of different things going on in the world right now and I think people just want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to compete in sport and participate in sport from you know club level to elite level um, and you know making sure that it's fair for everybody I think like you're in a really unique position of understanding um, and expertise from you know what it's like to be transgender and also the, re the research that you've done um, can you give us some insight, I guess, from like your personal experiences and also from the, the science um, and the research that you have done um, for people that obviously, you know, are listening that um, are trying to learn and understand, I guess, the landscape of that a little bit more? Well, um, <clears throat> the, the, the sort of physical changes that, that trans women in particular go through on, on hormone therapy um, will have different uh, implications for different sports. Uh, for instance, um, our group published a, a retrospective look at, at some studies on, on non-athletes. And, and we found that after three or four months of hormone therapy, uh, trans women will go from male levels of hemoglobin to female levels of hemoglobin. And, um, Hemoglobin levels are the single most important physiological factor in endurance sports. Uh, hemoglobin is vitally important to get oxygen from the lungs to the muscles. So you can have the largest lungs, the largest heart in the world, 
But if you don't have hemoglobin to, to get the oxygen uh, from the lungs to your muscles, then you're not gonna perform well as an endurance athlete. So the, the fact that trans women go from female or from male to female levels very quickly in that sport, it explains my personal experience. It also helps explain the, the data that I gathered in, in my first study. Uh, on the other hand, um, trans women, and, and these are non-athletic trans women in the studies, um, are not going to lose enough strength to come down into parity with cisgender or typical women. Um, the, the study of, of non-athletes found fairly modest uh, decreases in strength on the order of 5 to 10 percent. Uh, and uh, strength and strength-related factors. And, and um, cisgender men have upper body strengths that are substantially more, in, in fact, as much as 50% more than, than cisgender women. Um, <clears throat> so the, the fact that, that these non-athletes only lose five to 10% um, would seem to, to indicate that, that trans women maintain a lot of strength, but, but that's uh, it, it somewhat misleading because um, these non-athletic trans women uh, aren't people who are participating in sports. And, and as a population group, trans women are more interested uh, in looking like women than becoming athletes. So, so they're more likely to, to starve themselves to look like models than to, to build muscle. And, and even before they started hormone therapy, the trans women had 14% lower hand grip strength. Uh, so um, what all this means, what the strength measures for, for athletes means is, is a little uncertain, but, but there's almost no doubt that trans women will maintain strength advantages over cisgender women. And that is very important in, in some sports. Um, <clears throat> but there was another study that came out um, from the United States last year where they were studying armed forces personnel. Uh, and, and they have three standard fitness tests that they do. One of these is, is the number of push-ups that they can do in a minute. And the trans women in that study uh, had a 34% advantage in the number of push-ups they could do per minute over cisgender women at the start of that study. And, and that advantage completely went away. Now, now the number of push-ups you can do in a minute, it's not pure strength. It involves muscular strength, muscular endurance, cardiovascular endurance, and technique. But, but it may be a pretty good proxy for those sports where strength is, is one component of many uh, for, uh, for athletic success. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's certainly very early days for, for studying trans athletes, but, but it, it becomes pretty clear that, that if you really want to look, uh, at what is fair, you need to look at this on a sport by sport basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask because, um, even from the endurance perspective, like there's this conversation around things like ultra marathons and that, where women like cis women are beating um, men outright. So then like what, like what you're saying, that the, the hemoglobin lo levels are important in a sport like that, where obviously sports where, where strength comes into it, like is 
a little bit more research that has to be done. And the, the difficulty, like you're saying, is in terms of like you have to find like athletes and measure, you know, people that want to compete at elite level. And that's part of the the difficulty is is trying to find those people to evaluate, um, you know, where the where the fairness um is. But um in terms of um you know the the kind of future for it like how do you see um you know things kind of unfolding and I know Joanne is is really interested in you know fairness for everybody and the the kind of human rights aspect of it um, and making sure that people are kind of getting opportunity and, and being treated fairly from you know the sports side but also from like a, a human rights and personal side yeah the, so there are in some ways, two competing interests. There's um, the one interest where, you know, transgender people lead horrible lives in many, many ways and, and have been marginalized and, and uh, <clears throat> discriminated against in, 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 in many, many ways in, in the world. And, and all that trans people are asking is to be treated like everyone else, to, to, to be able to participate in sports in the category where they feel most comfortable. Um, however, on the other hand, um, we have, uh, we have th this uh, concept of women's sports, which hasn't been around forever. Um, you know, there was a time when sports meant men's sports. And, and, and so um, I think that uh, the rise of women's sports has been one of the most important components of women's march towards equality with men. And, and so I, I think it's very valuable to, to try to, um, uh, to protect as, as it will, to, uh, to encourage, to, to make certain that women's sports thrive. And uh, part of that, I think, is, is uh, ensuring that uh, everyone in the competition category, female category, can enjoy meaningful competition. Now, now that doesn't mean that uh, there's an entirely level playing field because there never is an entirely level playing field in sports, but you don't want a situation where someone's biological characteristics are so different than the other people in the category that you can't have meaningful competition. So that's what I was kind of curious by, like, you know, like how do you re regulate that desire for equality, but also, as you said, maintaining an equal in air quotes, that's not biological playing <laughs> field, but also making sure that everyone feels included, like, especially from someone who is, you know, um, a trans athlete, you are a trans runner as well. Like, so, what would be your take on that? Like, what would you like to see, like, in the in the future? Because, like, I suppose, like, I have no limbs. So, like, I know I can't compete next to, like, Neve, who's a proper swimmer and everything. Like, I know that, but, like, it would still be good fun. But I know on an Olympic level, that's not the case. Like, do we have to go down the line of, like, the Paralympics where it's, like, classifications? Like, what do you think we need to do? Well, I, I think that um, uh, there should be a two-step approach. I think uh, at the sort of level where, where most people play, I think that we should just allow um, 
people to compete in the men's or women's category as they feel comfortable. Um, <clears throat> but when we start to get to elite levels of sport, where we are talking about professional sports contracts, we are talking about uh, Olympics or Olympic medals, then I think we need to be stricter with, with trans athletes. I think the current um, IOC policy or the World Athletics policy or the policy of, of the ICU, uh, th these are all appropriate policies where trans women are required to reduce their testosterone levels uh, to those uh, approximately equal to uh, cisgender women for a year before competing. Um, it doesn't get rid of all of the advantages. It doesn't turn trans women into cis women, but uh, it, it does mitigate the advantages that, that trans women have by uh, virtue of, of going through a male type puberty to the point where in most sports, I think it's reasonable to allow trans women to compete. There may be a few sports where uh, it might be necessary to be somewhat more restrictive, but um, <clears throat> you know the 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 uh, the jury is still out on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think, like in terms of um, you know with weightlifting this summer, like Laurel Hubbard is due to due to compete in weightlifting, and um, you know everybody's talking about the fact that the rule for uh, you know around transgender athletes has been into since two thousand and three. Um, and I think, you know, the ruling was brought in then and she's going to be the first transgender woman to compete. So now everybody is like talking and like having a, a lot of conversation around that. Um, and, and then you've obviously talked about strength. So like, is it is it correct or is it is it fair that Laurel is going in and, and competing, um, you know, after after transitioning um, and it or is it one of the sports that maybe there's a couple of question marks over because it's a, a strength-based sport. Um, certainly, Olympic weightlifting is not, say, as pure a strength sport as as powerlifting, which okay. is virtually all strength. Uh, you know, there's there's technique and quickness mm -hmm. and, and so on. So the question is, is it pure strength or is it more like push-ups per minute? Um, but... Um, Strength is certainly a very important component of of uh, uh, of Olympic weightlifting, and and as uh, you know, as an example, Laurel Hubbard was uh, quite successful in New Zealand before she transitioned. Um, she set a, a junior New Zealand national record that stood for fifteen years, but uh, having said that, Laurel was not someone who is going to be competing in the Olympics. Uh, after Laurel transitioned, she was sixth in the most recent world championships. And, and that's certainly something that she would have never achieved had she not transitioned. So it's clear that there is a competitive advantage that, that Laurel enjoys. Um, by the same token, Laurel is, is certainly not the, the dominant uh, person uh, in her weight category. There's a Chinese weightlifter, I believe her name is pronounced Li Wenwen, uh, who outlifts Laurel by 50 kilograms uh, in the two, two lifts combined. So um, it, it, it's not gonna be close between uh, Li Wenwen and Laurel Hubbard, 
uh, unless you know something fairly disastrous happens to the Chinese weightlifter. So, um, so, so first of all, you know, from that personal point of view, Laurel has advantages, but but clearly not overwhelming advantage. The second thing is that. You know, uh, as I said, that even after hormone therapy, transgender women are going to be taller, bigger, and stronger on average than, than cisgender women. But weightlifting is a sport that gets divided up into weight categories. Mm -hmm. and, and in any given weight category, trans women won't be bigger than the women in their weight category. They will, of course, be the same size as the women in their weight category. The, the question then is, are trans women pound for pound stronger mm -hmm. than, than cis women? And, and the jury's actually out on that question. Uh, and, you know, as I say, based on, on Laurel's personal success, you might say probably, but, but using uh, an N of one in science is, uh, yeah. is questionable. Yeah. No, I think like, like you're right, the pound for pound piece is, is really interesting. And I think when it comes to sports, and I, I don't know, you'll have more answers than this on me, but like in terms of like boxing and that, like, I think people are, um, obviously their, their weight class as well, but then the strength element can play into that as well. So it might not be the best example, but I think like Laurel is competing in the 87 plus kilo category where maybe if it was a closed end, because I think from my research, she's 130 kilos. So obviously she's substantially above that 87 kilo yep. mark. But so are like other people are obviously over that as well. It's just like how much. Um, yep. Where if it was a closed bracket uh, division, it's kind of easier to analyze and, and see what the what the situation may be. But um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, and look, like there's, there's a lot of conversation about it. Like we, we actually did research on our channel um, and had a lot of feedback um, and a, a third of people believed that um, she should she should be given the opportunity to compete which um, we we ran it twice and actually it was the exact same results and mm. um, so it, it was really interesting to see um, kind of the feedback there because to be honest like we had expected that um, more people um, would have been against her competing so it, it is interesting to see the open-mindedness to it um, and that people want to see uh, the science, I think, being done um, to establish that. But um, in terms of like protecting, like you said earlier, women's sport, um, we're talking about elite sport, but also there is club level sport. And, you know, in Ireland anyway, by the age of 14, twice as many girls are dropping out of sport as boys. So there's already kind of a, like a drive to try and keep girls interested in sport and everything so is there uh like a threat to women's sport um from allowing transgender transgender women compete in the in the female events um at club level or at, at non-elite level and i know in some states in in the u.s like because obviously there's you know the olympic um and, and world athletics rules um are down to kind of the testosterone levels um, and there's a couple of other criteria. I, I know for the Olympics that they've actually been changed, but um, in some states in the US at the moment, you don't have to have undergone hormone therapy. So where does that kind of leave girls, uh, you know, um, you know, cis girls that are maybe 12, 13, 14, and then somebody 
that identifies as a girl but hasn't undergone any physical changes can compete against them like how do we kind of navigate that to make sure that we're not rushing people uh to transition when maybe that's not what they're ready for because obviously that's something that's to be taken very seriously but you're also not um kind of disincentivizing cis girls from competing if you get what i'm saying it's a hard question there's first of all there's not enough trans people in the world to to have uh, a huge impact uh, on grassroots sports. Um, The trans people make up uh, somewhat, approximately 1% of humanity and and trans people are significantly less likely to go out for sports than than cisgender people because of, you know, uh, how they feel about their bodies, the discrimination they feel, uh, and, and uh, all of these things. So, um, you know, the idea that, that trans women are going to overrun women's sport, it, it, it's irrational because of the numbers. You know, what, what people have said is that, oh, lots of men will just pretend to be women so they can succeed in women's sports. And, and that has been a theme for 90 years, and yet it's never happened, not once in 90 years. So, so, so the idea that, that uh, at a grassroots level, uh, you know, women will be disincentivized because there will be all these trans women coming in. It's just not going to happen. Um, in England, in rugby, 600,000 women have registered to play rugby. 10 of those are trans women. So that, that gives you an idea of the uh, numbers that you know that you're looking at. So um, uh, you know that that is definitely true. Um, the the question of of hormone therapy for for adolescents it, it, it's certainly very challenging. Uh, if you're talking about prepubescent uh, children uh, who are competing in sports. That's, that's really not an issue because prior to puberty, male athletes and female athletes are, are fairly similar in, 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 in capabilities. But once you start hitting puberty, then, then boys uh, you know, quickly outperform girls in, in most sports. And, and so it, it is this question, uh, you know, somebody may identify as being trans, but aren't ready to, to go on hormone therapy, and, and at what point do you require mm-hmm. hormone therapy? It, it, it's a very, very challenging issue with, with adolescents. And as you say, there are some states in the U.S. where no hormone therapy is required, and there are some states in the U.S. where trans athletes aren't allowed to compete at all except mm-hmm. in their birth assigned gender. So, um, you know, there are rules that are all over the place, when, when you look at adolescence and, and it's an extraordinarily difficult age at, at, at which to, to make regulations. Yeah, like there are obviously a group of people who aren't obviously being represented. There's like loads being written about them in the media. There's loads of people obviously like talking on their behalf. And as someone who has a disability, I know how annoying that like that gets like. Um, so I was just kind of curious to ask you, and I suppose I'm asked it all the time, but in a different context. Um, like, how can we 
I suppose, be allies, but also not completely disregard like the science and everything that's going on. So like, how do we advocate for an individual person's need, but also um, advocate for the right to compete fairly in sport, if that makes any bit of sense? Um, you know, I, I don't see those two things as necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, you know, um, people can be welcoming uh, to, to trans uh, athletes or trans people in general when, when they meet them. Um, uh, and, you know, someone knows when they're being made welcome uh, and, and uh, you know, when they're not, it, it's pretty obvious. Uh, and so you can be welcoming and, and you can be supportive of, of uh, trans people's rights to, to live uh, normal lives. Um, but I, I still think, and, and you know, it's something that I believe in firmly that, um, that, that it is still appropriate to put certain restrictions on, on trans women's rights to compete, especially at, at higher levels of sport. Uh, and, you know, that we may not have all of exactly of those restrictions worked out yet. And, and any regulations now, I think you have to understand that they're, um, you know, th th these are all living documents and, and, mm -hmm. and need to be revised as, as time goes on. But, um, you know, I, I would suggest that, uh, that we can be welcoming on an individual level to, to trans athletes and yet still suggest that, that it is important uh, to, to put restrictions on trans women in particular. Can I ask um, just about, I suppose, the difference between like a trans athlete and then like a DSD athlete, you know, like in terms of hormone regulations. Um, I'm just kind of curious, obviously, given everything that's going on, you know, between um, Castor and the two Namibian um, Namibian athletes um, and kind of everyone else. Like, why do we regulate? You know, I know you obviously referenced strength earlier, but I'm kind of curious as to why we're regulating, say, you know, 400 to 1500 meters um, and hurdling as well, obviously included in that. Um, they're the only ones that require to lower mm -hmm. your testosterone levels. So why are we necessarily regulating those? Are they just because Castor and Co have managed to pop up in these sports? Or, like, do you think that's the reason? Because they just happen to appear? Or is there something else like, you know, strength, scientifically strength that we don't <laughs> necessarily know as normal humans <laughs> sitting here on the sideline? <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> There are a lot of complications involved. And if somebody really wants a full answer to that question, I would suggest that they pick up a copy of my book called Sporting Gender that looks at the history and science of, of transgender and intersex athletes. And you will get a very detailed explanation of, of how this rule came to be. Uh, certainly nobody, including World Athletics, uh, would would think that an ideal rule would be for just a particular subset of events. Um, uh, however, it, it is true that over the last 30 years, um, uh, women with DSDs have become uh, very successful in, in the sports between 400 and 1500 meters. And, and when you mention the hurdles, it's only the 400 hurdles and not the sprint hurdles that, that are regulated. Um, so um, historically, it's true 
that um, that that this is where uh, intersex athletes have found the greatest success. Um, but in terms of physiology, um, you know, I had mentioned two very important aspects of, of testosterone. Testosterone gives you higher hemoglobin values and higher strength. And, and that is sort of the range where both of these things are really important. It, it's important to have muscular strength. It is important to have endurance as well in those sports. And so that may be a reason why uh, DSD athletes have been successful, so successful in those sports over the past 30 years. And, and just to be clear, it's, it's not just Castor. Um, Castor has won six global medals. Uh, DSD athletes over the last 30 years have won close to 40 medals. So, so Castor is only a small component of, yeah. of, of that. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it's a complex thing. Uh, and, and I would say, if you look at the two Namibian athletes, um, I think they were first and third in the world in the 400, and now they're going to run the 200. Well, we'll wait and see how they do. They're not likely to be first and third in those events, but they're still going to do pretty well. They're still going to get to be in the Olympics. They'll, they'll still be successful, but not as successful. Mm -hmm. Is that a completely unreasonable compromise? Um, uh, I would say no, it, it's certainly somewhat ungainly and unwieldy as, as, a, as a regulation, but, but it is sort of, it is a compromise and, and I don't think it's a horrific compromise. Mm -hmm. To be fair, like, had they known about the, op the option of like the 200 meters maybe a year ago or two years ago, the preparations might've been different. It's, I think it's been quite challenging for them because it's been so close to the Olympic Games that they've found out. But as you said, like, they are just dropping down by 200 metres and, you know, they can look towards Paris and, like you're saying, they, they'll be competitive in the 200, maybe not as much as in the 400, but maybe they might have tweaked their training and we can see them be more competitive in the 200 metres in 2024. Um, I think it is really interesting, like, the like we've been watching Castor, um you know, aiming for the 5K and, you know, she won't be going to, to the Olympic Games. Um, in terms of... Um, Can I just it, break in there for just a second? Yeah. Well, Castor won't be going. Francine Nien-Saba, who won the silver medal in Rio in the 800 and is in the same boat as Castor Semenya, has qualified in both the 5,000 and the 10,000 mm -hmm. for the Olympic Games. And, and uh, Francine will be going... Uh, she has proven to be successful. Now she's not, she doesn't, she's not as big as Castor. And so moving up in distance was somewhat easier for Francine, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, there is a, a someone who's, who's been yeah. successful in the longer distances. And to be fair, Castor had tried sprinting first. Like I know she had switched to the 5k more recently. So, you know, sprinting and 5k are, are a different kettle of fish. So it's going to take a bit of time for your body to adapt. Um, I think, what was my question? <laughs> sorry, I, yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, sorry, it was Castor and, oh yeah, sorry. So when it comes to intersex athletes, like obviously uh, the option is there to take um, testosterone suppressants. And I think there's a this conversation around the effect on 
you know, one's body and that type of thing. Um, and I think particularly uh, fertility comes into it a, little, a bit as well. Like that's a conversation and, and a concern, I think, for, um, you know, athletes taking testosterone suppressants. Um, is that an unreasonable thing to ask people to do? Um, or how does it impact one's body? Well, uh, you know, testosterone suppression has a, a lot of effects on, on one's body. And, and, and I, I, I know, um, and, and there are some, uh, some women with DSDs, with these XY DSDs, who actually want a more feminine body and for whom, you know, testosterone suppression, just as it is for trans women, is something that's actually quite welcome. Um, other than the fact that you don't compete as well in sports. Um, but, uh, but there are some intersex women who are perfectly happy with their bodies just the way they are. Mm -hmm. and, and so for those women, it is a substantial imposition to, to be asked to, to reduce their, their testosterone levels because, you know, because they like their body just fine the mm -hmm. way it is. Uh, and it does make it a, a very difficult thing, thing to navigate. Um, and um, I guess the question's yeah. not from like a performance side, because obviously there's going to be an impact on the performance, but more right. from like, like sport, it's going to last a certain amount of time in one's life, regardless mm -hmm. of, you know, and, and there is life after sport and, you know, what is somebody when they're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, what is the impact on um, taking testosterone suppressants? People, people get worried when, you know, they're adjusting their hormones and stuff. And, and just like, it, I don't know, you have the, the understanding in terms of people's concerns. Like, is, is it a, is it a. There certainly, again, you know, the transgender population is substantially larger than the, the DSD population. And, and you know, the, there is a history of, of many years of, of hormone manipulation within the transgender population. Are there some side effects of that? Absolutely. Um, are, are they generally major? No, and, and for trans people who really wanna change their bodies, um, you know, the, the side effects are easily outweighed by the, the positives. Now, um, you know, if you're talking about uh, a, a DSD athlete, I would say there would be very few athletes um, who, for whom it would be better to compete in the 800 uh, meters with female uh, levels of, of testosterone than to move either up or down in distance. Um, uh, <clears throat> and so if you're looking at it just from an athlete point of view, um, I can't imagine that, that any athlete would actually choose to take the, the testosterone suppressant. It would be for their career, it would be better to move either up or down. Uh, and the two Namibians will be pretty successful in, in the, the 200. One was third in a Diamond League meet just, just a week ago. Um, if you have any idea of what athletics competition is, to be third in a Diamond League meet is still an extraordinarily high level of, of 
uh, athleticism. As I said, Francine Nienzaba has successfully moved up. Um, Castor may be one who, you know, who has, you know, less ideal options. She, you know, she's a pretty good 200 meter runner. She's a pretty good 5,000 meter runner, but she's unable to qualify for the Olympics at, at either end. Um, but, but in most cases, uh, the, the DSD women would never choose to go on hormone therapy for, for sports. They'd either move up or down. Does like Castor like have the right to feel a little bit hard done by? Because even like, you know, like I know it's like ridiculous. Yes would be the short answer. <laughs> like I know it like sounds ridiculous, but like, you know, you mentioned obviously the two Namibian girls, like they had to go down 200 meters. Like, I'm not saying, oh, that's not a big deal. Like it obviously is a, a trickier, like, you know, it's, it's a different thing you have to learn. I'm sure like in your subconscious, you're learning a different run irrespective, let alone like your actual bodily changes. Like Castor had to do like a massive jump, like in fairness. Yeah. Her, like, and I know she's, I know she's a lot bigger, and I know the Polish girl who ran against her was like her thigh is bigger than my head and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, but like in 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 all like truth and seriousness, like does she not at least have the right to be like I was a little bit screwed over, and let alone at the Olympic medal? Like we're talking future earnings, we're talking like publicity stuff, like we're talking like the chance to be a hero in your own country, the chance to be a hero for intersex athletes, and obviously she's the most famous. So like from her perspective, could she not I, be, like screw all of it? <laughs> I, think, I think part of it, like and obviously even from our perspective, like myself and Joanne have talked about Castor Semenya and everybody knows who Castor Semenya is. Like we've obviously talked about the two Namibian girls because they have, you know, kind of recently come you know to the fore and um obviously their news is recent but everybody knows about Castor because she went to trial because she has been has had huge success um and I think part of what you're also saying is the two Namibian girls they're only got they're only dropping 200 meters but a Castor is quite in the middle of that like she has to drop like the 800 meters versus the 200 meters is a completely different ball game as is the 800 to the 5000 so she just happens to be in that like that's what I mean middle zone she's a bit older as well and she had tried sprinting i think she just was having trouble with her knees so that was like an injury issue so that, i think that's part of why the sprinting didn't work out so um <clears throat> look castor has a number of very legitimate complaints again uh, how she's been treated over the past yeah. dozen years um uh again uh, for those who are interested, I have detailed those in my book. Um, but, uh, you know, she has, has been, you know, uh, mistreated by, by sporting authorities, by, uh, by much of the general public. You know, people still call her a man. Uh, you know, the, there have been many horrific things that she has had to endure. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel a great deal of sympathy for her, um, but but it, it should be noted that she is a hero in her own country. Um, it should be noted that she has also been pretty financially successful. I was at her 2019 trial, um, and um, not only did she have impeccable suits on every day, different suits, um, but she was wearing very expensive watches every day, different ones, and I definitely noticed that. So. Um, she's done okay financially, mm -hmm. um, and she is a hero to many intersex people. So, so you know, she has um, she has gotten 
some of these things you say, but at a horrific price. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, nobody overall could say, uh, gee, I wish I had Castor's life. It seems so easy and smooth because <laughs> it, it would just be ridiculous. She, yeah. She's just gone through so much. Uh, and, and yeah, of course, any feeling person would have to empathize with all of the horrors she's had to put up with. I was kind of curious just because obviously one, I'm a criminologist by trade and two, that entails a law background. I was kind of just interested in general, like about that trial. Like I know you testified against her, like, and I was just kind of curious in general, like what, what did you have to like present? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like thinking from a, like a defense attorney point of view, like what were you like bringing to the stand and like, how were they towards you? And did you face much backlash? I'm kind of thinking like after, you know, for going against her, because I suppose morally people were like, go for her, especially within a community, maybe who had been dealing with, you know, testosterone suppressants for quite some time. So I'm just kind of curious to understand like your, basically what happened. <laughs> well, um, so World Athletics had six uh, expert witnesses there. And, and of the six, I was probably the least important witness there. So, so my role was, was fairly minor. I did uh, write like a 5,000 word written statement that, that uh, and, and mine was one of the shorter ones. Um, there were, yeah, the, the trial documents totaled well over 200 pages. But um, uh, so, so my statement was one of the shorter ones, but, but it, it, it was, it did get referenced. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, my statement was about the, the effects of, of testosterone changes on, on, on athleticism. Um, I did testify. It was a, a, a fairly uh, short and relatively uneventful testimony um, uh, compared to, to some of the others, which were much longer and much more controversial. Um, uh, again, I have a, a, a chapter in the book on the trial um, and uh, more chapters on what led up to it. But, but anyway, um, you know, it was certainly a very interesting uh, week. Um, and, um, you know, my personal involvement was, was, relatively minimal in, in, in terms of my impact on, on the trial. I was, uh, you know, I, I did play a role, but, but, but a relatively minor role. Um, for the record, your book is really good because I did read it at the weekend because I read your book and um, Kristen Worley's book as well. I literally uh-huh. called her Morley, my article. I was like super embarrassed. But no, I have read your book. Okay, <laughs> That's good. why I was like really curious. I was like, oh, it's like really rare you get to like read between the lines with the author. <laughs> yeah. OK, well, I'm, I'm glad you read the book. Glad you enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. It was it, it was quite a trial. There were um, you know there were forty witnesses, and we were in a you know a very large room, and and it was uh, it, it was certainly a very interesting week. But but you know my personal role in how that trial turned out was was truthfully quite minimal. I'm I have a question going back to transgender athletes, because a lot of the conversation is around transgender women 
-hmm. and something that we have talked about ourselves um a couple of times is like the the transgender men that want to compete in sport um we will be honest and say that a lot of our a lot of our conversation again has been and, and research has been around transgender women and I think there's a little bit less research around transgender men but what are the like rulings there and this is maybe completely naive but is there a point where taking testosterone becomes viewed as doping um or performance enhancing um and do we need to promote sport for transgender men as well because so much of the conversation is about transgender women um which i would think is because women and elite sport in particular um people feel kind of threatened and not really sure how to navigate it but um because obviously the physical uh you know potential physical advantages are coming from um you know men transition male transitioning to female as opposed to female transitioning to male so what is the kind of landscape there can you help us like educate people a bit more on that because it's something that we really want to talk about more but we just haven't found that much out about it okay well um first of all yes taking testosterone will it will greatly change the athletic performance and so trans men who take testosterone can't compete in the women's division uh so that that is at at, at again at, at any sort of high level of sport um you may be surprised to learn that there are two transmasculine athletes who will be competing in this year's Tokyo Olympics then. Okay. Did you know that? Um, no, and that's, that's what I was wondering in terms of yeah, yeah. trans male athletes competing in male sport. Like what is the landscape like there? So the two transmasculine athletes haven't started hormone therapy and are competing in the women's division. Okay. So there's a, oh, interesting. A, there's a Canadian footballer. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, Quinn is their name, and Quinn's non-binary and, and uses um, they/them pronouns. Um, Quinn uh, won a bronze medal in 2016 with the Canadian women's football team in Rio, but wasn't out as as transgender at the time. Quinn came out in 2019 and was was named the Canadian women's team again uh, this year. Uh, the, 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 uh, it was kind of interesting when Quinn came out, there was a lot of publicity around them, but this year that the Canadian women's soccer team has greatly downplayed it. And, and there's been nothing, uh, suggesting, oh, we have a trans athlete on our team. I think they just want to concentrate on football, <laughs> which is, is understandable. Um, so that, that's one there's, there's, uh, an American, uh, skateboarder, uh, Leo Baker, uh, who um, who also is not on testosterone, uh, and, and he's uh, going to be also competing in the women's division. Uh, and, and again, Leo only fairly recently came out as as transgender, non-binary, uh, and Leo has been very prominent in skateboarding for for many years, but. Um, most of that time was viewed as, as merely merely a, a masculine woman. Um, so so uh, that's one aspect. The other thing is, can trans men compete in men's sports successfully uh, 
after transition? Well, um, so I think it, again, it depends on the sport. Um, if you're looking at uh, sports, say like rugby or basketball, um, I, where, where trans men are gonna face substantial size uh, discrepancies, I think it, it's more challenging than, than in some other sports. Um, there's uh, a trans man, professional boxer, Pro Patricio Manuel uh, is, is his name. He's uh, one and O as a professional fighter. Um, um, <clears throat> he ha has trouble finding bouts because most men don't want to step in the ring because they're afraid of quote unquote being beaten by somebody who used to be a girl, right? Um, Patricio doesn't look like a girl. Uh, Patricio is very muscular. He's not very tall, but but he's he's very muscular, very strong. Um, Skylar Baylor uh, swam uh, for the Harvard men's swim team uh, and uh, Division One NCAA sports. Um, uh, which is a, a very high level of, of, of mm -hmm. sporting success. Um, he was in the top 20% of all uh, men in Division I in his event, which was the, um, the, the breaststroke. Uh, and um, <clears throat> so, you know, he, he wasn't somebody who uh, won NCAA championships or broke records or anything, mm -hmm. but he was... Yeah. Competitive. And yeah, yeah, in the top fifth of, of yeah. Mm -hmm. that, so um, there's an, uh, one trans man who's been successful in men's sports. Uh, Chris Mosier uh, is uh, a multi-sport athlete and he has competed uh, at an age group level uh, internationally representing the United States. Uh, uh, so again, there's, there's a, another successful trans man in men's sports in terms of the levels of testosterone because obviously um some of the um you know physical changes like you said height and, and that type of thing like that's not going to change when you like mm -hmm. either take testosterone or you know reduce your levels of testosterone but when it comes to um taking testosterone um can the level of testosterone be increased to a cis man? Oh, or yeah. Even uh, above a cis... It okay. could be increased... And if, if, it goes increased. A, if it goes above it, is it then... Like, is there is there a limit in terms of, okay, like, if you're competing at elite sport, because this is the conversation that people aren't having. <laughs> um, if you go beyond the, like, uh, average cis man's testosterone level are you in a like zone now where you know cis men can't take testosterone because it's considered doping are trans men then doping or like where where are we in that space or it's just not really like there's not much conversation about it because people are focused on trans women at the moment competing in sport so um for trans men to compete in men's sports, they, they have to file what's known as a therapeutic use exemption or TUE for their testosterone. Uh, and, and it is regulated. Um, there, there's a specific 
uh, range in which cis men uh, have testosterone. All cis men don't have the same testosterone, yeah. but they're all within a specific range. And trans men cannot have testosterone levels that go above the top okay. end of that range. So, so they, they, they are medically supervised. They, they do have to file this TUE and they can't take unlimited testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I think like that's just something that we haven't discovered much about, but I think there's just so much conversation around um, trans women athletes. And we just wanted to know more about the other side of it because I feel like they're like even more underrepresented and people just, I, I, I genuinely feel because like it's the, it's viewed as like less of a threat to like club sport but also to to elite sport and as we all know when it comes to elite sport and money like that's where people start to kind of get their backs up a little bit um I think I had one more question um Joanne you go ahead let me think I had one more question (laughs) (laughs) actually no I was actually just like really interested as you said um leave about the rate of testosterone for men because a part of me was thinking if I was one of those weird um coaches I would be like sitting with a fridge of like testosterone I'm like whoa (laughs) this is where it's at kids um but no it completely it completely makes total sense um I was just kind of curious I suppose Joanna to get your like I suppose final opinion on basically um just uh, I suppose really it's in terms of like policing kind of bodies you know like it, it does it like enter like a dangerous like state at, at some stage or do you think it's just it, it like do you think basically uh, do you think we're using like the fairness of the game to disguise a little bit of policing or do you think like li- listen this is what has to be done especially as you know someone who has transitioned like yourself and who has seen how your performance has changed um with estrogen and testosterone blockers as well so you know, it is certainly true that uh, for women to be successful in sports, you know, they they have to train, they have to become athletes, they become more muscular, they become in, in some sense, perhaps in some people's eyes, less feminine. And so it is uh, somewhat disingenuine to say, you know, we want our women to be successful in sports, but we want them to look feminine too, right? And if you don't look feminine, then we're coming after you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so there is somewhat of that, and and that that is it, it is true. Um, but on, on the other hand, um, you know there are very real effects of, of testosterone, uh, and um, <clears throat> so that. Uh, I, I think for those humans who've been through male puberty, whether they're, uh, you know, but identify as female, whether that's trans women or uh, uh, women with XY DSDs, then, you know, then I, I do think we need to be very careful on, on the, the, uh, the regulations that, that we put in place to allow uh, these two groups of women to compete in women's sports. And it's, look, uh, it, it's hard as, as, you know, someone who identifies as female, you know, I, I get all, all we would like is, is, you know, to be treated like everyone else, but it, it is also important to, to, you know, to, to, to consider, um, you know, all of women's sports as well. 
that kind of was my question <laughs> yeah no I was no 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 I'm glad that you that you asked because um yeah I think my question was kind of more actually like the guidelines that like obviously things have adjusted from um world athletics and we've seen world rugby change and we've seen the olympic uh council they, they're they all varying um regulations there but in terms of the the regulation um it was it was adjusted in in 2015 to just um be hormone therapy um and then obviously we're you know you're talking a lot about like the differences between hemoglobin levels uh testosterone levels and, and we know from you know other research that uh we have explored um a lot of people talk a lot about testosterone i know we've talked a lot about testosterone but that there are other factors in that like do we think over the next couple of years we'll see um other factors being evaluated and the rule that is there now where it's you know under you know 10 animals um per liter for um most sports except athletics and and rugby it seems at the moment um do we think that we will see more of that come in because i know um you know gender reassignment surgery is no longer a criteria and then to be re- legally registered as your new gender in um you know your country of residence or the country that you're from is um no longer a criteria as well like will there be additional um factors to comply with essentially to compete at elite level well, the IOC has announced that they will be coming out with new transgender guidelines okay. after Tokyo. So, so yes, there will be, be new regulations. There are people who are interested in looking at other biomarkers than other than testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, you know, with testosterone is that it does change both muscle and blood. Uh, and so you know, like if, if you just looked at a muscle factor, then that wouldn't affect blood and, and vice versa. Uh, so, um, but, but there is some research in, into looking uh, in, into other factors mm-hmm. and, and, and nobody is suggesting that testosterone is the only thing that's important in athletic mm-hmm. success. Uh, it's just uh, a, a good way to differentiate between male athletes and female athletes. Um, So um, certainly there will be many changes over the the upcoming years. And and this, you know, this story certainly isn't over. Mm -hmm. uh, and, And, you know, five years, 10 years from now, we're still going to be having very similar discussions. Mm-hmm. I was going to say we'll have to check in in a couple of years, <laughs> and 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 ha- and we can almost watch this back and see how much has changed. Um, I'm excited to see the end of your study, like just from a pure like yeah. researcher point of view. Um, so definitely, um, like definitely keep in touch with us. We'd love to get you on um, in the next feature, anyways, to talk anyways about your studies. And we really do obviously appreciate your time as well um, and everything you've given up for us. It's been really informative and I know I've definitely learned a lot anyways. Yeah, no, thanks so much for for sharing all your experiences and and knowledge and everything with us. And I I think it will really help um, people in our community like understand so many different sides of it. And and the science I think is just really what's people kind of struggle to to get to to the bottom of, which obviously you're saying there's still lots and lots of research to be done. 
Um, but but thanks a million for taking the time to talk to us. You're welcome. Have a good evening. Thanks, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye.